0: Well, good evening. Thanks for being here. I want to invite you to turn, if you've got a Bible, or swipe if you've got a Bible, to the book of Mark. Ash Wednesday, as Michelle mentioned, was this past Wednesday. It made for a fun Valentine's Day. As we celebrated by smearing dirt on each other's faces and reminding each other that we're going to die. That's how we spend Ash Wednesday. But of course, Ash Wednesday is more than just these jokes. Ash Wednesday is this time that we set the tone for the 40 days that precede Easter, which is also known as Lent. Lent is a season to recenter, that is our theme. And I was thinking about this because of how often I drift off course or think I know better than Google Maps. If you see on the image in front of you that red circle around a button that says what? Recenter. Show of hands if you need to find that button every once in a while if you're like me. You need to know what's the best way to reach your destination. Our theme then is like setting that button to get our lives back on track. And the practices that have traditionally been associated with the season of Lent is giving, praying, and fasting. Lent is just an old English word for spring, but Lent is this season where we count 40 days, not including Sundays, because Sundays are the Lord's day, and Sundays are for feasting. But during the spring season of Lent, the other 40 Are a season of fasting. And by themselves, giving to the poor or giving to mission, giving to the church, doesn't twist God's arm and make him love you anymore. Praying, as in setting aside more time to soak and meditate in scripture or to have a more intentional and consistent rhythm of prayer. Does not twist God's arm and make him love you more. And fasting, which is the voluntary denial of an otherwise normal function. So that you can more fully engage in spiritual activity. In other words, you disengage from something so that you can more fully engage with God. that doesn't get God on our side to to make him love us anymore either. So now you're saying, then why should I give sacrificially, pray more consistently, or fast when I'm so hangry? Well, because like all spiritual disciplines that Michelle was talking about earlier, these disciplines put us in a position to be acted upon by God. And the nothing that we're doing, or the obstacles and detours that have drifted us off course, well, these help bring us back to the way and the center of our life. If we find ourselves difficult in situations where we feel called to give of our time, our stuff, our energy, and we feel that resistance, maybe we need to hit the recenter button. Lent gives us that time. Maybe if we realize that we've talked more about God and less to God, maybe prayer, is that recenter button maybe if we haven't fasted ever maybe hit the recenter button and see how it realigns your wants and helps you refocus on your needs consider lent the google map recenter button to bring you back into the way of the one who has called you to follow even if it means to follow him all the way to the cross. I set out some guides this past Wednesday that are simple scripture readings and some reflection questions. It's got some check mark boxes if you're like me and every day of your life you have to-do lists and you feel so good when you tick one off. I present that to you. We have maybe a few hard copies I can get you after our gathering, but if you're online or you would rather, you can also find it on our website in the sermons and resources tab. I offer that to you, not to get God to love you more, but to maybe consider it as a recenter button. You also, if you have kids in our neighborhood kids ministries, you would have received a beautiful, prettier guide that Carla put together that looks at each week and invites our children To give, to pray, or fast in different ways. Because what we're doing with our neighborhood kids, with that guide or what's happening down the hall, is we are discipling future disciples. And we are building a foundation that says, you are loved by God whether you give a dime or not. You are loved by God if you say three words to him, Lord, thank you, or 3,000 And you're loved by God if you were supposed to fast from sweets this last week, but you didn't. Because God probably loves sweets too. But the point I'm trying to make is that God is longing to get our attention. God is calling us to get back on the track. And these are some ways that we can bring more intention before we celebrate the resurrection. But first we must go through this season of trials and the cross. Jesus is baptized and then faces a detour immediately. That's like when you start a job and they lead you to the warehouse and they fling back the doors and they're like, you need to organize all of this and it's just mountains of stuff. Or you start a job and they say, check your email and you've got 4,000 of them and it's just baptism right into the fire. This is what happens at the beginning of Jesus' vocation. And we see how Jesus remains centered on his identity because he hears the voice of his father tried and true like a blue line in Google Maps leading him all the way, even if it's through difficulty. And the reason I bring those guides up is because we're going to be spending time this year in the Gospel of Mark And so what we're doing is reading alongside some of those passages that several other churches throughout the world will be following along as well. And so tonight we begin in Mark chapter 1 with our focus on verse 9 through 11. Would you join me there? Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I feel like earlier I said turn or swipe in a Bible, but I didn't tell you where. Here's where. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Did you notice that like whiplash? You're hired, get to work. And he was in the wilderness 40 days. This is significant. Some of you are saying, oh, Lent. Well, Lent's 40 days originated from this 40 days. But even those 40 days hearken back to the 40 days that God's people who just got their job to be a light to the world had to wander in the wilderness. And learn to trust God and stay centered. While he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he was being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. Here's another whiplash. But angels attended him. After John was put in prison, the one who just baptized him, his cousin, the one who made straight the path for Jesus to come and announce good news, well, John decreases and so Jesus increases. And he went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. What is it? Verse 15. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we're grateful for Jesus who had his eyes fixed on you even as he fixed his face toward Jerusalem. Give us grace and courage to walk with him now and each step of our Lenten journey, that we might be found in you, centered and secure, safe in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Nearly every single day, since around the time Nora was born, I have said goodnight to the girls in this way. You want to guess, Emma, or should I just tell them? You're precious, you're special, you're beautiful, and I love you. Every single night, you're precious, you're special, you're beautiful, and I love you. Why? Two reasons. First is that I want them to have these words hidden deep inside their hearts. I want them marinating in it. I want it penetrating down to the deepest core of who they are. Because when they were itty-bitty, I would get so frustrated and mad. And Amy would say, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just imagining I'm just imagining one day some seventh-grade punk kid with hair down in his face, just like I had, with some bad attitude, just like I had, is going to walk up to my precious, special, and beautiful girls, and they're going to say, you're ugly. And they're going to come to me, and they're going to be crying, and he's going to undo all the good work I've done for many, many years. And Amy would say, chill out. (laughs) But I want them to know that even if that happens from that little punk, I want them to have it roll off their backs like water off a duck because they know that they know that they know that they are precious, special, and beautiful, and that they are loved. The second reason I say that every night is to remind myself of the time that I had a sense of that being said over me. You see, when Emma was itty bitty and just before Nora was born, I was at a retreat in Southern California and I was really bent out of shape about ministry. I was really bent out of shape about God. And so I went away and I was bent out of shape about that because I knew that in the middle of that week, I was going to have eight hours to go be alone. And I was like, that's a long time. And I know that I'm going to have to go back and tell them something profound. But really, I just want to take a nap. But even in spite of all that bad attitude, God met me. And out of the blue, I had an encounter unlike any other that I've had before or since. And I think that it's a real gift and a miracle if you get one of those. But I just want to tell you it's not because I am any more spiritual. I think it's, in fact, because I was in such a bad way. That God really sent me a life preserver and pulled me out of this time. But I heard these words spoken over me from the prophet Isaiah. And it was God speaking to a rebellious, bad attitude people that had wandered a long way off the way. And this recentering call came and said, No, 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 because you are precious in my sight, because you are honored, and because I love you. And I just remember sitting there and thinking, I have talked about God's love, I have sang about God's love, but I don't know that I've ever seen those three little words on a page spoken from God. I love you. And for some reason, I just let it sink down and it cracked open my heart. And the way I have described it is that it was a big bang. And everything that has followed since, however imperfectly, is the rapidly expanding universe that originates from this source of daring to believe that I actually am loved by God. And so I took those words in Isaiah and I translated them in a way that made sense to kiss a small child at night. You're precious, you're special, you're beautiful, and I love you. But I think that our journey with God doesn't really begin until we hear him say, you are my dear child I love, and you actually believe it. You've sang the words. That you're loved by God. You've heard it and read it in books. You've heard it preached. But until you let it marinate down, penetrate down, you will find yourself routinely meeting the seventh grade punk kids of your life. That try you and test you and dissuade you. And you veer off the path. You can't really function in a world that is hostile if you can't draw on a source and center that reminds you that you are worthy, you are valuable. And I would go even a step further, that God doesn't just love you, he likes you. I believe that you can't outbelieve your belovedness. And what was fascinating at that retreat, there was a gentleman from a different theological tradition, and one of the leaders of that retreat said, Do you believe that God loves you? And this person said, Yes, because when God sees me, he sees the robe of Christ and I'm clothed in his righteousness and I'm forgiven because of the justification by faith. And he rails off this beautifully orchestrated bullet-pointed list of theology and this person dutifully listened to his treatise and then when he was done, that person leading the retreat asked him the question again this way. Take off the robe. Does God love you? And I think that was a moment that he started to let those words penetrate his heart as well. Our journey with God doesn't really begin until we hear him say, you are my dear child I love, and we actually believe it. And you cannot believe your belovedness. And by the way, love is God's central disposition toward humanity. And you say, yeah, but those in Christ. And I say, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I said, well, you know, you know we are objects of wrath in Ephesians 2. And I say, Ephesians 2, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, gave us Jesus, who died for us, even though we were sinners. By grace, you've been saved. Keep reading the story. And if you keep thinking of ways to outwork how you're actually loved and liked, I'm telling you, you haven't heard the voice that calls you beloved. So Listen, let it in. Allow yourself to be loved. And you say, well, look at all the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. And so he forgives you and he calls you and recenters you toward life as it's meant to be lived. And then you say, Well, he said that about Jesus. And to be true, tr- really like true to the text, we don't hear it say, God said, and I say, come on, friend. Every gospel says the heavens ripped open, a voice came down, the spirit descended like a dove. And I want to tell you, stop trying to outwork God's belovedness. And then you say, well, he's actually, if it's God, saying it about Jesus, to which I turn to the greatest living New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright. He says this, Jesus is the Messiah, which is the anointed one. And the Messiah represents his people. So what is true of him is true of them. Because later in John 15, Jesus will say to his disciples and all that come after him, abide in me as I abide in you. And he says, as the father has loved me, what? So have I loved you. And T. Wright continues. He says, look at this life and learn to see and hear in it the heavenly vision, the heavenly voice. Learn to hear these words addressed to yourself. Let them change you, mold you, make you somebody new, the person God wants you to be. Discover in this story the normally hidden heavenly dimension of God's world. Friends, Jesus withstood the rejection of the world because he knew the acceptance of his Father. Let me say it again. Jesus withstood the rejection of the world because he knew that he knew that he knew the acceptance of his Father. And our journey with God is about learning to live in that reality when we don't always see it. And we are learning to live in the reality that we are beloved that we are worthy of that love, that we have been given forgiveness precisely when we didn't deserve it, that's called grace, learning to live in that reality that we can't see, but we have faith, which is trust, that it is just as real as the air we breathe, even though we can't see it. And then you say, but then I go out and I hear these voices that tell me I'm not worthy, I'm not loved, I'm not good enough. And we hear the garbage stories that we've been talking about this year that tell us you're not enough and you don't have enough. And I say there's a better story and it's the good news that the time has come for you to turn back to your heart's true home. Say yes to the love of God expressed to us in Christ and given to us through the Holy Spirit. Our journey with God is about learning to live in a reality we don't always see. So let's track how Jesus's rhythm at the beginning of his vocation mirrors the beginning of humanity's journey and our journey today. It starts with believing. Jesus went to John, his cousin, who had been baptizing people who were ready for the time for God's Messiah, God's King to come. And so this was the appetizer, the precursor. This is people saying, I'm putting down my deposit so that when the king comes, which you're saying he's close, I- I'm ready to-, to keep going and cash in and follow him. So when Jesus comes, John says, here he is. And then Jesus gets closer, and then John starts to realize, wait, you want to be baptized? You're the one I'm baptizing all these people to get ready for. And Jesus, in some strange and mysterious conversation, is basically telling me, no, 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 this has to happen this way. I think part of the reason it has to happen this way is so that the heavens would be rent apart, the voice could be heard, the spirit descends. And it's as much for those people as it is for Jesus to know that he knows that he knows that he is the anointed one who was to come. Jesus didn't need to be forgiven from sins. Jesus needed to fully operate from this point forward as God's anointed one. And he was named as my beloved son. In the book of Genesis, which is the beginning, God calls Adam, which is a Hebrew workaround for mankind. And it also involves Of dust, So it's fascinating that this is the reading that I didn't drum up for this story, for this sermon. This is the reading that is for the first Sunday of Lent because we would have just been marked with ashes and said, Remember that you are dust and from dust you shall return. That wasn't just something that Toby and I decided we should say to make it more like significant. That's from Genesis. We are God breathed and filled dirt. But we're named. And to name something is to know it within relational identity. That God brings forward Adam and names it mankind, humankind, from the dirt, but breathed in as an image bearer of God, named, called out. And then Jesus, you're my beloved son. And if it's true of Jesus, can we believe that it's true of us? So if Jesus is loved and if Jesus pleases the Father, could we believe that we're beloved? What happens next? Remember the whiplash? He comes out of the water. The dove descends. Adam gets a tattoo. That's what that's about. The spirit, what, drives him out into the wilderness to which Jesus, maybe with the dove still on his shoulder, pirate style, says, thanks a lot for that. He's into the season of testing and trial. Isn't it interesting in the second book of the Bible when God's people are named, my covenant people, Israel, they go through the water and they're delivered only to what? Find themselves in the wilderness. There's echoes and remixes hovering all over this. But we jump back to Genesis. Humanity had been set on the blue line of Google Maps. Go, make more of you. Go and tend the earth and cultivate it. And do all of this except don't go over there. And there's a lot of poetry and a lot of like analogies, but the point you don't need to miss is that there's this way in which when we're told not to do something, We just got to wonder, is it worth doing? And all it took was this serpent who later became associated with the one who would tempt Jesus. And in Hebrew, where we get the word the Satan, it means the accuser. And so this accuser was accusing around this tree when he says to Eve, did God really say you shouldn't do that? And there's this distortion, there's this delusion, which eventually leads to a detour. And that temptation results ultimately in the turning away. There is some sense in which we jump to recentering, and in Genesis, they they are met with God's grace, but it still came at a cost. And that even go, even though God didn't like destroy them. God in his grace still clothed them and carried on with them. But there was some sense of loss and death. And the greatest result is that we've inherited this knack for turning away. So Jesus gets tested in the wilderness like Israel before him and Adam and Eve before them. But listen, Jesus does what they didn't do so that we would have an opportunity to go where Jesus goes. And by that, I mean through temptation and on life. Jesus is tested in the wilderness, but for the first time in human history, he doesn't turn away. Instead, where I have it saying, recentering, Jesus is unwavering in his commitment. Why? Because Jesus can withstand the rejection of the world, the delusions of the accuser, because he knows the acceptance of the Father. It's ringing in his ears. It's resonating in his heart. And he says, no matter the circumstance, no matter the world surrounding me, I am fixed on the one who calls me beloved. That is who I am. That's whose I am. So enough out of you. And the question then becomes for us who are in Jesus, will we now with the Spirit follow his example to not turn away, to not turn away, but to hear the good news of the gospel that says turn back to God. That's what's happening in the baptism and the testing and Jesus' clarion call to turn back to our heart's true home but we're learning to live in a reality that we don't always see. I wanna ask you, are there moments when heaven split open and you had this clarity, and maybe it was just for a moment, have you had a moment in your life with God where the veil of heaven and earth was so thin that you saw God is here. God is real. God is in this. I have a sense that I am loved, that I am cared for, that I am helped. Show of hands if you've had one of these fleeting or formational moments. Chances are there's not a ton. And so how we learn to live is to have that as a big bang And everything else is this rapidly expanding universe that says, even though today the data is that I'm with the wild animals and I'm fasting and tired and dead and done, but I remember that God was good then. So I'm going to keep looking for the morsels of bread along the journey and find that he still gives those to you, even if it wasn't as big of a deal as that one time, that one day. Have any of you been in a season of wilderness, testing, wondering, tempted to veer off the path? All of us raise our hands. That's why we come back to this place and we tell each other again, the good news is calling you back, calling you back. And I need you to know this. It was the Spirit's idea to lead him to the wilderness. I need you to know this that he wasn't protected from the voice of the enemy. He heard it, but he had to weigh it against the voice of the one who called him beloved, just like we do tomorrow and the next day. I need you to know this, that there wasn't just wild animals in the Satan. There were angels in the spirit, not protecting him from it, but walking with him through it. So finally, I'll say, we must still go the way of Jesus. We must still go the way that Jesus must go, through the wilderness and through the testing and through the cross. And someone might have told you in a well-meaning Sunday school class that he'll protect you from all of it and cancer is not a part of it and struggle and dysfunction is not part of God's design. I would say, sure, it's not part of God's design, but the line forms to the left where God allows it to be part of our life. So it may not be part of God's design, but God says, I'm sorry, it's still going to be part of your life. And so the journey is that when you don't hear it, can you remember when you did hear the voice? And can you seek and be still and try to hear it today? And would you remember that even though you must go the way that Jesus must go through wilderness and testing and the cross, also understand that Jesus also walked through a lot of blessing and abundance and goodness and healing and health and joy and beauty with the companionship of friends by his side even when they weren't. He still knew that he was not alone. And when he needed spiritual help Unseen angels ministering, coming alongside. The word in Greek is angelos, and it's actually a word for messenger. It's actually used, and in English they don't use it a lot because we've gotten so twisted up about angels, when someone is a messenger to deliver a letter that Paul wrote. The word angel a lot of times in the New Testament is more like the Amazon guy that delivers something to your door. So surely there was some spiritual element as he was spiritually wading through the forces of dark and light. But how many of you have had an angel that looks like someone in this room that reminds you of who you are and that you're loved and that you can get through this and I'm with you. You're sitting next to angels. And I don't just mean in the spiritual sense, although probably we are. But you also walk through the companionship of friends and angels in the spirit who will bring us at last to the embrace of a loving father. There's also a multitude of internal voices, but there's a deeper reality that's echoing in our heart. So don't ignore it. There are external circumstances that want to dictate your reality and drown out those voices. But there's a deeper reality that undergirds what we see. So don't lose sight of it. Practically speaking, as we round down to the end, consider how you are contributing to the reality of someone's belovedness. And what I mean by that, let's start with kids I am an imperfect father that sometimes spend some of the days with a loud voice. But I try to end it with a quiet voice that says, you're precious, you're special, you're beautiful, and I love you. And they forgive me for my loud voice ways. Because I want to make sure that I'm telling them explicitly and early and every chance I can that they're beloved and you bring me so much joy. So if you have kids, tell them explicitly early and often that you love them and you are delighted by them, that you are proud of them. One of the things that Amy taught me when we first had kids was she said, here's something we will never say, you're a bad kid. And she goes, even when they're knuckleheads and they make bad choices, that is a big difference because you will not put that on our children that they are a bad kid. That's an internal voice that doesn't easily go away, so you're never going to say it. And we haven't. Do they make bad choices? Sometimes. (laughs) But we tell them that you are beloved, that you are beautiful and wonderful, and we love them. To your companions on the journey that have a lot of conflicting and competing ideas about the way, would you be for them a recenter button that says... You are loved. You are worthy of love. And there is a way that leads toward life. And let's walk it together. So, for you and the way that you can contribute to your belovedness, I'll leave you with this. You are my beloved child. I am delighted in you. Write it down. Put it on an index card. Say it in the morning. Say it at lunch. Say it at dinner. Hear it. Read and reread it slowly. Believe it. Marinate in this unseen reality. Live it. Move through the wilderness as this echoes in your heart. You're going to the wilderness. I'm sorry, but you are. So you can do it with him or without him. You can do it with the voice that says, this is no good. This will end only in death. Or you can end and enter into it hearing the words like, I am the resurrection and the life. That I am the way and the truth in the life. That I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You are my beloved child. I am delighted in you. Would you hear it, believe it, and live it? And every time I sat down to try to recenter for literally two years after that initial encounter, I would sit down in a wilderness season of my life, and I would finally get my wiggles out. And I would just sit there and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? And I would hear, you are my beloved son, and whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. And I said, thanks, God. Next, what what else? And the next week, I would, like, sit down and get my wiggles out. You're my beloved son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. I got it. But what I finally learned is that you never get it or graduate from it because you always need it. You always need to hear it. If Jesus did, you did. So listen one last time. You are beloved, and he is delighted in you. Amen and amen. Go now and live in the spirit of your baptism, even when you are led into the wilderness and hard places. With repentance and trust, give yourselves to God, and with fasting and prayer, strengthen yourselves against the ways of the tempter. And may God enfold you in tender and lasting love. May Christ be beside you in times of struggle. And may the Spirit guide you back to the path wherever you stray, that you may keep the covenant. We, we go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ, amen.